1: Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing my new friend, Dr. Riken. Dr. Riken, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yes, it's it's uh, been a pleasure being able to talk to you and Everybody we had a few technical issues uh, uh, on my end with uh, my laptop so Dr. Riken is to be commended for his for his patience with my um, uh, technological ineptitude and uh, thanks is also need to be given to my wife for being very patient and and uh, helping me uh, fix those issues so I appreciate it, Dr. Reich. And can you uh, just tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of your current ministry projects you're working on? Yes, I can. I am 78
0: years old. I am in my 52nd year of teaching at Wheaton College, having officially retired in 2012. And then I've taught a course at a time since then, and homeschool courses mainly for my grandchildren. I recently tallied up the books that I've published in my eight years of retirement and was surprised to find that they exceeded 20 in number. Uh, This is my last public year. I come from humble stock and right to the present day, I self-identify as the farm boy from Iowa. One of my life verses is Jeremiah 45 verse 5. It is Jeremiah's advice to his secretary Baruch. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. My wife Mary and I have been married for 56 years. We met after my sophomore year in college when I went with a group of young people from Iowa to do church work in California, and Mary was a high schooler in the church. Mary and I are the parents of a son and two daughters and grandparents of 16 grandchildren our son Philip has been president of Wheaton College since 2010. As for my ministry, here at the end of my career, as the data rolls in from around the world, I believe that my publications have been my chief contribution to the kingdom.
1: That's wonderful, brother. Um, You definitely have been a prolific author and a blessing to the body of Christ. So we're very thankful for your for your life and for your ministry, for sure. So well, can you uh, tell us about About your book, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year, a closer look at at their spiritual and poetic meaning, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, please.
0: Yes, let me first describe the nature of the book. It's an anthology or collection of 40 hymns. Each of these 40 hymns is what people in my literary profession call an occasional poem. That means that it arose from a specific external occasion. Uh, There are six occasions that I cover in my book. New Year, Good Friday, Easter, Reformation Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas. The hymns are printed as words-only texts. Each is accompanied by a 500-word analysis or explication. As for how I came to write the book, let me take you behind the scenes in a writer's life. When I don't have a book project underway. I don't have quite enough to do, and that's not pleasing to me. So three years ago on a sunny afternoon in the fall, I went out, I drew up a description of six books that I could see myself as writing. I submitted them to a publisher. I got no respect as a comedian from an earlier generation said. As an afterthought, I sent off my proposal for a collection of hymns analyzed as devotional poems. PNR latched onto it the rest is history.
1: Wonderful, brother. Well, I, I really think that this is uh, a great collection that you've put together here, and um, I think it's going to be very helpful to, to people. And um, can you tell us what, what, it, what it means to read the great hymns as devotional poems?
0: Yes, it's one of my favorite subjects. I want to begin by saying every hymn begins as a poem. It becomes a hymn when this text is paired with music. Timothy Dudley Smith, maybe the foremost Christian hymn writer of the last quarter of the 20th century, said regarding his first and signature hymn, it was not written as a hymn, quote unquote. Well, if it wasn't written as a hymn, what was it? It was a poem. Every hymn begins as a words-only text. It has all the traits of a poem. It's arranged by lines. I was never so aware as when working on my hymns books, of how important it is that a poem, any poem, is written in lines. That creates a rhythm of thought that is different from prose. So the hymns as poems are written in lines, they are written in stanzas. The lines have rhyming schemes. Uh, we can see the linear flow of the poem from beginning to end. Uh, we see the poem as a, in a single view and can see what unifies it, etc. Those are some of the things that it means to read a hymn as a poem.
1: Uh, that's really great. Wh- why should we read hymns as poems in addition to singing them?
0: Let me begin with a historical note. Until the 1870s, hymn books were small, five inch by three inch, words only books through, ni- through the 1870s, I repeat. Why should we revive this noble tradition? Well, we can make hymns a continuous presence in our lives. We can consult them whenever we wish. More importantly, we can take as long as it takes to unpack the words and images and their meanings. We can linger lovingly on the verbal beauty and the aphoristic phrases of the text. Let me compare studying the hymns as poems, as compared to singing them, to studying Shakespeare's plays as written texts as compared with seeing a performance of them. When I teach Shakespeare's plays, I teach them as I teach other literary texts. I do a lot of research into what the scholars have seen in the texts. So what I present in class is really there. I'm not making it up. All right, when I go to see a performance of a Shakespearean play, how much of what I know to be there is available to me in the theater? And my answer is 15 to 20%. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy seeing a performance of a Shakespearean play. It's just that the total quantity of what I know to be there is just not available in the performance of the play. Something similar to that is true of singing hymns, Let me clinch the point about why we should read the Great Hymns as Devotional Poems in the following way. Recently, I sent a solicited article on Hymns as Devotional Poems to an online journal, and then when the article was printed, I was delighted by the title that my editor had placed at the top of the article. That title was Read hymns like poems because they are.
1: That's, that's wonderful, brother. That's wonderful. Well, how do you envision readers using this an- anthology of hymnic poems?
0: Thanks for using that phrase. I coined it. I wanted to refer to the hymns as poems Not simply as poems, that would, I think, be misleading, but to call them hymnic poems, I think, was a really good move. Well, uh, my book is like other literary anthologies, that is anthologies of poetry. There is no scarcity of literary technique to admire and assimilate, so that's a literary use for my anthology. Devotional poems can be read and pondered for devotional purposes as well as literary ones. So I envision that as a use for my book. And then as printed in my anthology, for every entry there's a concluding Bible passage and that enhances the devotional effect. I want my book to be a lifeline to people who have lived with the great hymns throughout their lives and who find those treasures being taken away from them by the move to contemporary Christian music. The great hymns can not only continue to be a presence in our lives, but they can actually come to mean much more to us than they have before.
1: That's great. Um, Your book encourages people to read and analyze hymns as poems. What does that exactly mean?
0: The first thing it means is that we need to get a hold of a words-only version of the hymns, printed with the stanzas one under the preceding one. Then we need to find an easy chair. We come to the reading state, as I will call it, with a set of expectations, and even our body posture is part of the reading state. More important than that, we need to settle down for a slow read instead of a speed read. We need to analyze each image, phrase, and line. We need to identify the duty that each stanza performs in the unfolding performance. Then at the end, we need to see how the stanzas form an organic whole. We need to relish the verbal beauty and the aphoristic phrases. we need to apply all of that to our spiritual life in the way we do with other devotional writing.
1: That's really good. You believe that assimilating a hymn text as a poem compensates for certain things that are lost when we only sing a hymn. Can you elaborate on that particular point, please?
0: Yeah, and let me begin by defusing the issue. Certain things are also lost when we only read a hymn and don't sing it. But uh, the question has to do, how can Reading and analyzing, I I will not shrink from saying, hymns as devotional poems compensate for things. Well, one thing we lose when we sing a hymn is the opportunity to assimilate the words of the text at our own pace. When singing, we are not allowed to stop and ponder and unpack the meanings of the images. So reading the the hymns as poems compensates for that. When we are singing a hymn, we can't stop and analyze the role of individual stanzas. And I found this to be Crucial with hymns considered as devotional poems. Well, when we read poems, uh, we read the hymns as poems, we can take time to analyze individual stanzas. We don't see the progression from one stanza to the next. Well, when we're singing, we return to the same starting point visually, top left. Whereas reading a hymn as a devotional poem compensates for that because we see clearly how one stanza leads directly into the next stanza. We can see the uh, progression and interrelatedness of the parts of the poem when we read the poem and study it and ponder it, but we can't do that well when we're singing. So, those are good reasons, good compensations. <clears throat> that come when we complement our singing of hymns with reading them as poems.
1: That's really helpful. How are the hymnic poems in your anthology like the poems you teach in your college literature courses, and how are they different?
0: That's a really interesting topic. First of all, the hymns as devotional poems meet all the criteria of being a poem. They are printed as lines, as stanzas. They have a rhyme scheme. They embody the meaning and concrete images instead of abstractions. They're poems. They're not versified prose. They possess artistic and verbal beauty. They lend themselves to close reading or explication. All of these things were discoveries to me as I got into this project. Well, are hymnic poems just like the poems I teach regularly? No, I'm going to use the formula bequeathed by a towering authority on hymns from an earlier era. He said that hymns are poetry under vows of renunciation. Vows of renunciation, that is. They are less complex and subtle subtle in technique than the poems I regularly teach. They are poems for the common person. When I teach my typical poem in the classroom, what gets foregrounded is what I call the poetic texture, the images and the figures of speech. And there's a lot of depth and multiplicity there. Hymns are simpler than that. What gets foregrounded with hymns, somewhat to my surprise, is the verbal beauty, the well-turned phrase, It's just amazing what a gift the hymn writers have for the well-turned phrase.
1: Hmm, That's great. Uh, Of the nearly 60 books that you've published, the process of producing these books, which of these gave you the most enjoyment and and why?
0: Well, the hymns book has really given me a a beautiful last chapter to my uh, writing career. There are two reasons why I have found this project so interesting. For the first reason, let me take my listeners behind the scenes and the academic world. For half a century, the academic disciplines and really culture at large have been dominated by a revisionist agenda in which traditional interpretations and received opinions are categorically declared wrong, with every new interpretation, no matter how kooky and unsupported by data, is instantly and automatically accepted as true. Since my values are traditional, leading me to trust the long-standing interpretations over the revisionist agenda, You can understand why I ask, when will I have some fun debunking received opinions? There is a revisionist aspect to my hymns-as-devotional-poems enterprise. Most people, including me before I wrote my hymns books, have never even entertained the thought that hymns are poems. In other words, there is an assumption that hymns are not poems. By showing that they are devotional poems and can be experienced that way, I am revising the received opinion. It has been an exhilarating experience. Secondly, and related to that, a pioneering spirit has fallen like a benediction on my project. I'm charting new waters. The same pioneering spirit fell on my enterprise of half a century of demonstrating the literary nature of the Bible.
1: Hmm. Do you want to say some more about the literary nature of the Bible?
0: It's been half of my career. (laughs) It, It began in the home Missions church in Eugene, Oregon, that I attended during my graduate uh, years. Late in my uh, years in Eugene, Oregon, the, the pastor of this tiny home mission work was away for a Sunday, so he entrusted the adult Sunday school class to me. We're talking seven or eight people. By providence, I worked up a full scale explication of Psalm 23. I can trace my half century career as a spokesperson for the Bible as literature. To that humble assignment in a church, the Bible is literary in nature, just as hymns are poems. And demonstrating the nature of that has been a, a glorious enterprise. Let me just call it that.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. That's 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 great to learn that. Well, where can uh, people go to find you online, on social media, or you know, on your website or things like that?
0: I do not have a social media presence, but there is no scarcity of information about me available online. I have. Probably 60 books. Anyone who types my name into the Amazon search site will be led to eight pages of entries for my books. A fledgling website called the Leland-Reichen Library is in the process of being constructed. When complete, it will list all of my publications and public addresses, and the total number of items is 400. Beyond that, if someone Googles my name, there are just under 200,000 so-called hits. I say that just for laughs. I am a small-time operator. If someone enters a search with my name and a specific topic like hymns or hymns as poems, That will provide a guide to materials available on the internet.
1: Wonderful, brother. Well, Dr. Reichen, there's a lot that we could talk about when it comes to this subject. And just as we wrap up this conversation, do you have a few takeaways for our listeners?
0: I do. God is great. Among his gifts to the children of men is poetry, and one of the greatest branches of poetry is our favorite hymns of the faith. We can have access to these hymns whenever we want and do not need to hope that they will appear in a church service once a year. To appropriate hymns as poems, we need to find a words-only text of them. Then we need to experience the layers of richness they possess at the leisurely pace that reading a poem requires. My two books of explications of hymns show how to do it. God will give insight as we do more of the same on our own.
1: Well, sir, I very much appreciate your time today. You've been, uh, as I said at the opening, very patient with uh, the technological issues that uh, I had. And I'm so appreciative of that. And uh, thank you for your great answers during this interview. I, I appreciate you, sir.
0: I am grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.